Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Erica Rhodes, candidate for Congress in California, San Fernando Valley. We talk about her perspectives, her registering to run for Congress, and the incumbent, Brad Sherman. Erica also tells us about her vision for education, foster care, and the realities of campaigning, and of course, Bitcoin. Erica Rhodes, how's everything going? All is well over here. Thank you so very much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, yeah. So you're in California. How have things been the last year and a half or so? You know, it's been quite a journey. So I Mm -hmm. am running to represent California's 30th congressional district. So that's Mm -hmm. the West San Fernando Valley. So Studio City, Sherman Oaks, Woodland Hills, Porter Ranch, Encino, Tarzana. And I filed last year. And Mm -hmm. it's just so crazy because You know, I'm an elementary school teacher. I filed because of injustices and things that I felt should be advocated for that weren't being advocated for. And our Mm. campaign just blew up. And now (laughs) we are almost nine months away from our primary, very viable to unseat Brad Sherman. And it's been such a whirlwind. It's just really amazing, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. Well, so tell me more about that, because you're... Like you said, you're an elementary school teacher. Mm -hmm. I know lots of elementary school teachers. They don't necessarily run for Congress. So (laughs) what happened? What was it that sort of like got you to act and file to run? And then like, how has this whole process been, you know, like filing and then like getting publicity and raising money? Like, what's this whole thing been like? So it's been it's been such an extraordinary experience. So I mm. was an advocate for, I was a big supporter of Andrew Yang and he mm. suspended after New Hampshire and just didn't have the numbers. And so he suspended, mm. but I really liked his policies. I love that he reached people from across the aisle, that he was mm. not divisive. And I was like, you know, but I just feel like I should still stay active. And I didn't know mm. what that looked like at first. And then COVID hit. George Floyd, all these different things were just happening. The census coming Mm. up, just like all these different things. And I was like, you know, I'm going to file for Congress. I didn't Mm. see Brad really stepping up. I didn't see real leadership. I saw our community being, you know, more divided. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to file. So I put together a team. We thought deeply about our campaign. We made the intentional effort to have a range of policies based on what people care about in our community, what I believe in. And then I filed. And then after I filed, okay, Jimmy, let Mm -hmm. me just tell you, in the first like 72 hours, we raised over $20,000. And then Mm -hmm. we were up to $50,000. And then we just became incredibly viable. And it's just kind of Mm -hmm. taken off from there. And my thing Mm -hmm. as a candidate, and this is like different than most, is that I want to show that you can run for office and not be divisive, not attack people, not, you know, just assassinate someone's character, but that you can just be principled, have strong morals and values, you know, fight for what you believe in and do it the moral just way. And that is what Mm. we have done this entire year and a half. We've put lending Mm. libraries in our community. We've done so many food banks. Every Tuesday I'm at the food bank. We launched a chess club for our communities or a community garden. We've done 
hygiene kit drives for those experiencing homelessness. We did a haircut backpack drive for our foster youth. And it's really showing what a public servant is, serving your constituents, listening to your constituents, meeting people where they are, reaching across the aisle. And I'm so proud of the campaign that we have run. And I'm just, I'm just excited because it just shows that you can do this and not resort to anything radical. That makes mm. sense. Yeah. So uh, the story is amazing. So you got involved in the Andrew Yang campaign, mm-hmm. and this is sort of like your way after he suspended his campaign, your way of sort of continuing. Tell me a little bit more about your involvement with that campaign and what it was about your involvement that led you to want to run for Congress. Because Again, that's not a normal thing that a lot of volunteers do is say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go run for Congress against like a sitting congressman uh, who's got oodles of money. Like that's not something normal. So what was it that inspired you? You know, I think for me, it was I was so into what he was what he stood for when he was running Mm. that I ended up in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, all over California, obviously. And Mm. what I was able to unpack is that people, no matter where you are, want the same thing, essentially. If you go to like very right-leaning areas to very progressive-leaning areas, people just really want the same thing. They want to be able to put food on the table, healthcare, their kids to go to a good school, be able to go to dinner, travel, you know, put some money away, not have to worry about financial ruin because of an unexpected bill. Like that's like the gist of it. People want to be able to have a little, you know, freedom and autonomy over their lives and make decisions that are best for them. You know, that is across the board. And I think for me, when you realize that, okay, so it's just the approach. That's what's dividing us is just how we get there. It really, to me, was an indicator that we need people that can bring people together, right? So if you have people from both sides that just want the same things, but how to get there is different, then we need leaders that know how to meet people where they're at. And so that's what started my curiosity of like, how can we start to bridge this divide? How can we communicate in a way where we're understood, where we're talking you know, listening to understand, not listening to respond, not talking at someone, but talking to someone. I talk to people that I disagree with all the time, but I also yeah. leave those conversations being respectful and, you know, being able to respectfully agree to disagree. And so I know it's doable. I do it all the time. And so that's kind of what got me excited about it. And then what really made me put the filing, like actually file the paperwork was the lack of like the education piece during COVID that we had Mm. so many kids that didn't have the devices that didn't have internet access. The, the whole school system was completely exposed and it's fell in our young people. And Mm. I believe that every kid deserves to be literate and have an opportunity to flourish in this great country. I really believe that. And I think we as the adults have the moral responsibility to ensure that. And as an educator, seeing kids in fifth grade reading at a first grade level, second grade level is an injustice. Seeing kids that go into middle school that can't even do basic multiplication facts as an injustice and not having and not keeping up with the times. We have to stay innovative. We have to stay on the forefront of innovation. We have to 
have life skill courses, financial literacy classes. We have to bake in more field trip opportunities for kids. All these different things that that need to be implemented in education. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe my purpose in life is not to just be an educator, but to serve on the education committee in Congress to fight for these things so every kid can have what they need to be successful. Well, so you must have a pretty interesting perspective because you're an elementary school teacher. And as you said, like during COVID, you know, like kids couldn't go to school, like, and you, you saw like how they were learning and how really how they weren't learning because, you know, they lacked the proper, you know, environments or devices or whatever. So can you describe a little bit more what that was like and what really struck you about the education system that's kind of broken right now that you think you can fix by going to Congress and doing something about it? Well, the first thing is, is that teachers, people don't realize teachers are worth their weight in gold and they work their asses off. Teachers are very hardworking and they're, they're responsible for a lot. That's the first thing. And I think as parents sat on Zoom and they saw how hard it is to teach kids, especially on Zoom, I think it really grounds that we need to pay our teachers more. That needs to be a priority. Secondly, we have kids that learn differently. We have a different era. They're, it's not like it was 20, 30 years ago. Even when I first started teaching, times have changed you know, technology, automation, all these different things. And so we're not even teaching to the times. So we're not, on one hand, we're not laying the foundation where kids are literate and able to do basic math skills. And then we're also not setting them up for the future of the workforce. We are not prioritizing the arts. The arts are incredibly vital, you know, vital. I'm seeing that kids don't even have the internet or the technology to be able to do the skills or execute the skills needed to be successful in education. And the classroom sizes are way too high. A lot of schools now, thankfully, are pushing for two credential teachers in a classroom. More teachers are getting master's degrees, so they have a credential and a master's degree. So that's, that is very helpful. But I think ultimately, we're not acknowledging that the, everything is changing and our curriculum is completely outdated. And so we need to get to project-based learning, STEM, like I mentioned earlier, financial literacy classes, like life skill courses, like bring back home economics, woodshop, trade schools. You know, like not every kid needs to go to college. I think that we need to create pathways to kind of bring up the genius of, the, of kids and what they're great at. And so that's really what my mindset is. Like if you looked at like, I'll just tell you a quick story. I think this is a better to paint the picture. I have a friend that's a middle school teacher and he was on Zoom during the pandemic. And one of his students was holding their niece while trying to learn. That's mm. not conducive to a proper learning environment. So we really saw the living conditions in which some of these kids are living in. And parents not even able to afford the extracurricular or tutors or things like that. So what happened was we took a dynamite, lit it, threw it in there, and we completely widened the achievement gap. And so it's now it's more pressing than ever to, one, close that gap and modernize our curriculum so we can keep up with the time. We, we're like almost like fighting two battles. And then I would also say that there's been a lot of talk about, you know, college and college debt and student loans. But the thing is, it's like, Yes, okay, sure. Let's if we cancel student debt, fine. But what about the next batch of kids 
and they don't understand what the loan that they're taking out. You know, I was in my Bitcoin magazine article, I was talking about how I met with high school kids that didn't even know the difference between a debit and credit card. We're not setting kids up for financial success and we don't even teach them about personal finance, the value of investing and, and retirement and understanding how bank fees work and what happens when you don't pay your credit card on time, your credit score, etc. There's a plethora of things that pertain to personal finance. And so ultimately what I'm seeing is that we're allowing our kids to go into their next chapter of life, adulthood, ill-prepared. And when we so then we're talking about poverty, well, are we getting to the root of it and starting with our education system? Foster care. We have kids that age out of the system that go immediately into homelessness or into prison. That's a problem. So we're allowing our kids in our foster care system to not even graduate with a high school degree. We have 75% of our students taking remedial classes when they enter college. That's costing them billions of dollars. That's an injustice. Why aren't more of our kids able to just go from high school right into their coursework? And no one wants to talk about those things. We can't say that we care about the next generation and we care about education if we don't put our attention on fixing our education system. We look at our prison system numbers and one out of four people in prison are illiterate. And 75% of our prisoners work in foster care. We have some real problems that need to be addressed. And that is why I think I would be a huge asset to the Education and Labor Committee in Congress. Mm. So you're obviously passionate about education Mm -hmm. and particularly it sounds like sort of like, you know, core life skills that you don't, you know, that seem to not really get taught because the system is maybe a little outdated and there's a lot of stuff that's changed. Has it been your experience as a teacher that like, you know, what's preventing you from like sort of teaching them a lot of this stuff, right? Like, why is it sort of like stuck in, you know, like curriculum from like 1985 or something like that? Like, why aren't they learning the stuff that you're exactly talking about? What, what's the, priorities, the, the priorities are teaching to a test, standardized testing, You know, I think that we're approaching education all wrong. You know, it becomes Mm. just about getting a grade and memorizing things that, and kids just forget it. You know, we're not Mm. teaching for kids to really understand, digest, think deeply, question, wonder, use their imagination. We're not, our school system isn't set up to support things of that nature. That's why like STEM education is vital. The sciences are vital to make sure that it's like, oh, but as long as it's hands-on, it's not just like, oh, we're going to do a worksheet and I'm going to lecture that. That kids are having these real experiences every day in the classroom where they're asked to think and they're inspired to think. I think that's the problem is that we are so focused on grades and, you know, test standardized testing and, We're not teaching kids how to be independent thinkers, problem solving. And I think also too, parents have to kind of entrust that teachers know what they're doing, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. if teachers also had more funding for their classroom, that would make a world of difference. You know, we have so many teachers that pay for things out of their own pocket. You know, if, if we let teachers have a real substantial budget where they can really invest in their dream lessons. That would elevate the classroom experience beyond what anyone can ever imagine. And so 
we're not putting the money in the right places. And that's part of the problem. And let's just take COVID out of it. We need to also make sure kids are having experiences outside of the classroom. And that's why I was mentioning field trip opportunities. We know the data shows if kids go on field trips, that they're more likely to get inspired and go into fields that they would never have even known existed. We know that if we cut the art programs, that's detrimental to kids. We know that we need the arts, like that that's vital. And so we just have to have the will to do the right thing by young people and stop and stop allowing and, and just get away from all this testing and just really just focus on teaching, if that makes sense. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about this in the context of your race with Brad Sherman. Why are you sort of like disappointed with what he's done, like especially with regard to the education issue? Because obviously you're an expert in this area. What has he sort of failed to do that you think or maybe done badly that you think could have been done better? I think doing nothing is bad. I think being complacent is bad. I think not being present is bad. I think not advocating is bad. And that's what he, that's the kind of his leadership style. It's the antithesis of mine. And we're in a time right now where it's vital that we are investing in our community. And it's not just in education, it's in all areas. It's, you know, supporting our small businesses. You know, during the pandemic, you know, they, a lot of our small businesses went under. And there was, and we like our campaign did a buy local campaign to help support our small businesses. There's, he has a far greater reach and a bigger platform than I do. And I felt like that could have been utilized in a more sufficient way. And I think showing up, not when it's, when you're being primary, like in a real way, or right when the election's about to happen, but every single day showing up, there was like one time I was just driving by and there was a line. That was like literally two miles. It was massive. And I had made a video of it because I was like, what is this? I literally pulled over and it was moms in our district waiting in a two hour line for diapers and baby wipes. Diapers and baby Mm. wipes. And I went to the director, the organizer of that. And she said, now half by the time half these people get up, get up here, we're going to, they're going to be gone. And so then we immediately knew like there is a great need for diapers and baby wipes. And we, and we organized big, massive diaper drive and we brought thousands and thousands of diapers to moms in our district. But that's because we're there, we're showing up, we're paying attention. And so my frustration with him is that there is no leadership. And I want to be very, very clear. Me filing is greater than Brad. I'm not running against Brad. I'm running for something. I'm running for real change. I want to see real tangible differences in this community. And I really care deeply about very specific policies. And those I know will never get introduced by him or advocated for by him. And the bigger picture is that we have 66,000 kids in California in foster care. And that's who I'm running for. I'm running for the moms. I'm running for young people, Mm -hmm. seniors. I'm running for something. It's beyond and beyond this. And I honestly have to say, it really pissed me off that he went so hard to ban Bitcoin without even talking to people that have invested in Bitcoin. I find that to be just so unfair and not even talking to your constituents about it. Because I go out and talk to people every single day. And from all different walks of life, I meet people that actually have invested in Bitcoin. And so you're not even really reflecting the district. 
And when I tell mm. people, yeah, he's not for Bitcoin. Are you aware? They didn't even, some people don't even realize. And it was like, oh my God, you know? And that's also a problem too. Like there, you need to be very clear about where you stand on things. And that's why I really would love the opportunity to publicly have a conversation about these various topics. Mm. Well, so tell me more about that. Like, he does seem very anti-Bitcoin, at least in Congress. I like, do you know why that might be? Because like, you're clearly, you know, at least nominally on the same party, and you're very much pro-Bitcoin, and he seems to be very anti-Bitcoin. What's the difference in perspective? Why is he so much like that? I don't know why he's like that, but my educated guess is that because he is funded by big banks and corporations and they fund his campaign and his and keeping him in office. So obviously there's a probably a loyalty there. I personally for people being able to have the right to invest in the things that they would like to invest in. As long as they do their due diligence, know what they're investing in, why they're investing in it, investing in it, I think that people deserve to have that right and I've always said that since I was asked about how I feel about Bitcoin. I also think that if financial literacy is taught in schools, then that also increases the awareness of how to invest, why you're making certain investments or whatnot. But I think taking something to a point of banning it is very extreme, especially when Bitcoin is not going to go away. There's millions and millions of people that have chosen to invest in Bitcoin that like innovation of blockchain technology. And so I think with without even really even talking to people or Bitcoiners or ask, just asking them why they choose to do this. I just take great issue with that. Why don't you converse with people that and ask them why they've made that investment and try to see the other side. I'm really sick of anyone in politics, anyone, I don't care who you are, that won't even take the time to ask, that won't even have the conversation to consider another perspective. And then at least if you consider the other perspective, do your due diligence and research. Then you can say, you know what? I listen to you. I hear you. But I think I'm going to keep my position. We have moms that have mm. Bitcoin. It's not just like a certain group of people. I think it's people from all across the political spectrum. And, you know, and I, and that's just my personal experience, my personal research, my campaign's research. That is what I have, I have come to unpack. And so that is why I choose to take the antithesis po- the position than him, the opposite point of position than him. And I'm yeah, I, and just to put a little bit more meat on what what you just said, you know, his 2020 campaign committee had as its biggest donors, you know, nine separate banks, not just like one or two. It's Capital Group Companies, Blackstone Group, BlackRock, American Bankers Association, Capital One Financial, Charles Schwab, Credit Union National Association, Discover Financial Services, Deloitte LLP. You know, these are, they all provide banking services to some degree. I mean, just uh, so that our listeners know, is banking like a big part of your district? Is that like, you know, New York City or something where you have lots of banks that are operating or are headquartered there? Or is it like, yeah, okay. All right. So something's going on. Like, you know, and I've heard this about a lot of congressional races. Like banks determine a lot of these races because they have the money. Unfair. They're bigger. The- I mean, and that's why it's unfair. And that's mm. why, you know, I know that people are not. Okay. So I, I want to be very clear. I think that 
it's imperative that we need to do some campaign finance policy legislation because there's no reason why that these big banks are determining the outcome of an election. I know it's not the sexy thing that people care to talk about. It's not as exciting, you know, but it's an important policy that needs to be implemented. And I am very for democracy dollars. And I'll tell you why, for what you just said, if everyone, if we just took all the big money out of campaigns and allow every person just to get like a hundred bucks, you get a hundred bucks, you invest in the candidates you want. And it's fair game. You have to actually do the work. You actually have to go talk to people, et cetera. That would change the whole dynamic of politics. It would also allow for a teacher like me to have a fair shot at this. You know, Brad Sherman has over $3 million. And the more we gain momentum, the more he keeps fundraising. And it's it's almost like the tortoise and the hare. It's like, we're like slowly, we're trying to keep up. It's We're trying to keep up. But he has so much more disposable income. But if everyone was able to have a say in who gets the money and, and it just levels out the playing field and more people can participate in the democracy, and then that would change the people that are sitting in those seats. I personally will never take corporate PAC, big bank money, ever. I would rather go the long, harder, moral, just way because and be beholden to people than that. And that is why I'm very proud that our campaign has more individual donations than he does. We have a lot, a lot more <laughs> individual donations than he does. And so even just now as a candidate, I represent more people than him. Does that make sense? Because yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing that the obvious question that comes to my mind is, well, if he's getting all of this from money from these banking conglomerates and so on, what is he giving them? Like, I mean, they're not giving him money like just to give him money. I, they're, they're obviously expecting him to do something for it. What, what is it that he, he's able to do for them? He's expecting them to ban Bitcoin, probably. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, so people speak with their deeds. Mm. And he definitely speaks to his donors. He definitely defends his donors or does the things that his donors want him to do. It's obvious. It's it's not me just throwing this out of the air. Just look at his vote, his voting record or listen to his interviews or the things that he says and, you know, writes up. It's it, he says it. So he's clearly, clearly finding them to be more important than everyday people in our in our district. Okay. Well, so it sounds like your the current representative is kind of using his seat to like service the big banks, and I think what you're saying is you'd rather serve the people of your district and well, not I'm, like I'm not the, these other that. I'm showing that through my actions. You know, hmm. every thing that I do and how I function and I've, I've, I set up my campaign is to be a public servant. It's to mm. do good along the way. And that way, even if I lose my congressional race, I know that we did everything that we could and we did a lot of good for people in our community. And mm. we set a good example of what it means to be a public servant. I feel very proud about that. So it's not just talking, we walk the walk. 
Mm. Okay, so I think another question that a lot of Bitcoiners would have is, you know, obviously there are some Republicans that are pro Bitcoin. You're a Democrat that that's pro Bitcoin. Uh, how do you plan to sort of like work with people across the aisle? I mean, there are certainly Republicans that are not convinced of Bitcoin's value and so on, and there are uh, Democrats that are not convinced of that value. How do you, you know, like how do you convince them, right? Like how do you convince your fellow Democrats, and how do you convince people across the aisle but convince them to for what to not want to ban bitcoin or to regulate yeah to like maybe you know hold off on heavy regulation and maybe have you know not completely deregulated but like have regulation that makes sense so like in the infrastructure bill that passed recently you know the definitions didn't make any sense whatsoever because it was using definitions for centralized stuff for essentially something that was decentralized. Like even the language didn't make any sense. Well, I from, speak up about from, that. With not was coming down the pipeline. I did speak up about that. And there there was the bipartisan bill that was that was that amendment to correct that. Mm. And I definitely publicly stood with the new amendment, the bipartisan amendment. And mm. that's the thing is that you have to make sure people are educated in what they're voting on. And so for me, if I were in Congress and that, well, I'm ready for the House, but if that was in the Senate, but I would have walked over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, y'all, we, gotta, we need to talk. And I would have really tried to make the case for why this is not a good time. This is not something that we should be voting, that you guys should be voting on because you clearly don't know what it means. And even I had to go back and reread the language and it was very evident that it it didn't, it wasn't a fair piece of legislation. And I think it was also unfair to just slip that in an infrastructure bill. Why couldn't that have been its own separate thing? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, indeed. And, you know, this sort of like pork barreling is something that Congress likes to do quite often. You know, it's Uh, funny that you say that because something else that when that came up, Justin Amash is a libertarian. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was served in Congress for 10 years. He actually just, his last term was this last, this past cycle, but Mm. he had introduced a piece of legislation about this very thing that we're talking about is making sure that when legislation is introduced, that it's readable, comprehensible, and it's not thousands and thousands of papers within that someone has to read within, you know, a couple of days, because that's not very fair and doable. And so it was once that came out, that amendment came out and there was all the controversy around it. It made me think of that piece of legislation. And I actually went back and was thinking like, maybe if I were to win, we reintroduce that because it might prevent stuff like that from happening where they just slip in these different things that no one knows about unless someone actually is really reading it line by line. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love it if they had to actually read the bills before Congress so that like, you know, if it's like 2000 pages and everybody inserted it, like it wouldn't make any sense, right? Like you actually had if if you actually had to read the bill, then it would probably be simpler and you know, like I would like somebody to like physically read it out loud in front of Congress, right? Like, and a two thousand page bill is not going to be read aloud, and it's it just seemed like kind of crazy that you would have a bill that long. But okay, so going back to sort of the Bitcoin aspect of it, I think another question 
that a lot of Bitcoiners might have is, you know, like, what do you need right now from the Bitcoin community? Because I think as a community, we'd like to see Brad Sherman defeated. Some of the things that he said about Bitcoin are clearly meant to rile us up and so on and be in favor of the big banks and so on. But what do you need from us or what does a candidate like yourself? I'm sure you're not going to be you're not going to be the only one this cycle. Like what are some like sort of practical things that you need on a day-to-day basis as you run for Congress? Thank you so much for asking that. I just really want to quickly go back to that last question just really fast. Mm-hmm. And I, this is very important that I say this to you. I also would love to see a bipartisan Bitcoin caucus in in Congress. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that would be a because Bitcoin blockchain technology is not going anywhere. It just is mm-hmm. not. It's becoming legal currency in other countries. So we have to acknowledge that. And so I would love to see a bipartisan Bitcoin caucus in Congress. I just want to make sure that I did tell you that because I think that's important. And I actually talked to another Democrat, Reverend Wendy, who's running for office in D.C. She also is has the same position and feelings I do when it comes to Bitcoin. To go to your question now, what I need, I mean, very straight up, we need money. We Mm. absolutely need donations like no other. If we want to have a chance to win in the primary, which we need to do, Mm. we need donations. It It is what it is. Just to get our bio in the ballot for the constituents in the district, for the CA30 district, is $20,000, I believe. And so like, it's very expensive to run. I don't come from wealth. I don't come from famous parents and all this stuff. I'm like working class all the way. I'm working while I'm running. The fact that we're viable, it shows how devoted I am to winning this race. But we need donations. Even if it was $1, $20 max donations, which is 2,900, we need that. We won't be able to compete with him because he can drop a million or two and drown us completely out. And we need to be able to run ads and like purchase literature, et cetera. So that's that. That's the first biggest thing right now. That's the biggest ask. The second mm. thing is we need volunteers. We need people to phone bank, phone bank, phone bank for our campaign. We do it every week. Right now it's Wednesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, different shifts and times, calling people in the district, letting them know that I'm running for office and, you know, letting them know that they have a choice, this primary. And so if people can help us make calls and we can reach as many constituents as possible by June 7th of 2022, that significantly increases our chances. People have to remember, Brad has not had a serious primary challenger in 12 years. People just Mm. check him because, oh, it's Brad. You know what I mean? So they need to know that there's a real contender. Mm. And I think the third thing is, you know, continuing to build name recognition in our district. So if you live in the San Fernando Valley, CA30, the West San Fernando Valley, please let Eddie and everyone you know, know about our campaign. Let them know. Vote for Erica. Erica with two A's, A-A-R-I-K-A. That is huge. We need votes. We need votes. Votes, votes, votes. So those would be the big three things. Okay. I believe California still has sort of like jungle primary kind of deal. So the top two from either party go on to the general election. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And there is is a Republican running. I don't believe she supports Bitcoin. From my knowledge, I'm not, I'm not, I genuinely do not know. She doesn't Mm -hmm. really campaign or not. But the problem is, is that sometimes 
what's what ends up happening in our district historically. You can go on FEC or Ballopedia. You can see this. I'm not making it up that it ends up being Brad and a Republican and then Brad wins because our mm. district is deeply, deeply blue. It's like, it's dark, dark blue. So it will always be a Democrat. And so sometimes people just vote party lines. And if mm. people just vote party lines, then, then that takes away votes from the two Democrat or three or four. However, I don't know exactly how many people mm. of, as of today are running, but we'll be, everyone else is splitting votes. The no name people like myself, we're splitting votes. And then it becomes Brad and the Republican. But mm. we could change that if we have the resources to reach out to so many people that it could be myself and Brad as one and two. And then if we can get through the primary, we can win the general. We mm. can win the general. Okay. So essentially, I think the argument you're making is if you're a Republican and you want to unseat Brad Sherman, then maybe you shouldn't (laughs) check the Republican box. Maybe you should vote for somebody that might actually have a chance. Right. You you have, like, if you're a Republican and you really want to unseat Brad, you have to vote for me. You do. You you do. Because if not, Brad will win. It's It's incredibly deep. Blue. It will always be a Democrat in our district. It's not purple, mm. but it's nowhere near purple. Mm. Okay. Well, so do you plan to try to reach out to some of these Republican voters that yeah. uh, you know might have the ability to put you on the final ballot for November of 2022? Yeah, we talk to everyone. I literally mm. talk to everyone. You know, I know that sometimes people that you know are in the Bitcoin community they do prefer conservative policies and they see my platform they're like oh no like oh no Mm -hmm. i hope people can see that you know what i don't really agree with all of her policies but she really cares and that she's really invested and she's willing to find common ground i hope people can get that essence of who i am i'm very 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 serious about that i don't like living in a divisive country i don't live like living in a divisive community and so i really really care about that but we do talk to all people and I'm just asking progressives, moderates, Republicans, independents, whatever you fall, just give me an, an opportunity to show you that I'm a fair leader and I really try to do the right thing. And I am a very good at talking and I will listen no matter what, even, and I can leave a conversation, conversation respectfully agreeing to disagree, you know, and I'm not like an extremist on any level. I just don't work in that space. <laughs> I see. Well, so it would be very interesting. I think certainly if if you're a voter in that district and you want some competition for Brad, it would make more sense to vote in the primary. But like, what are the what's the primary like in California? Like, you know, I I believe this is your first time running, so obviously, well, like, I you're, you're run this- last cycle. Mm-hmm. I watched how he well, ran last cycle, and I I can definitely say this is our race to lose. I believe if we can get, we don't even need as much money as him, but if we mm-hmm. can get a pretty close to a, like I'd say seven hundred and fifty thousand to a million dollars, we can absolutely unseat him because people do really want change in our community. It is evident. We talk to people all the time. People want change. It is our race to lose. I really believe that in my heart and soul. And so what, so the primary pretty much is, is people don't come out in the same way that they do for like a presidential year, but midterm elections are significant. 
And so this is the best time to unseat someone like Brad because there's attention's not being placed on a presidential run. So like our district, our race is starting to get attention because there's not like a big figure or something out like drowning us out. So if we're going to take him out, this is the moment to do it. Mm. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, well, so what is the voting like in the primary in your district? Is it like what percentage of the voting population shows up for that? Just curious. It's not, it's not high. It's like the last time I, if I believe I'm correct, it's like 30%. Okay. All right. So, I mean, like a few votes here can really make a difference because not that many people are voting. And if you... Right. Uh, you really only need to come in second in the jungle primary yeah, to make it to the November. We only need to come in second. As long as mm-hmm. we come in number two, we can absolutely win the general. If it's mm-hmm. Democrat to Democrat, the amount of attention our race will get, because remember, he hasn't been challenged in 12 years, would be mm-hmm. extraordinary. It will become the race to watch because, mm-hmm. because it just hasn't happened in over a decade. And if we get the opportunity to debate, I think people mm-hmm. will really see the contrast between Brad and myself. We look different. We behave differently. We speak differently. <laughs> we're, we're very, we're very different. <laughs> well, yeah, he seems to be cut from slightly different cloth than you. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of like his background and everything else. We need the community to see that. We need the community to see me next to him so they can really like, oh, wait. There is a chance. Like, you know what I'm saying? We, they, we need to paint that picture for the community and – if we, it's good. A, a debate is going to be easier to get if there's like real money behind some of like our races. Like I think that's it just comes down to that. Unfortunately. Mm. Well, so how do people donate to you? What's the website or you know, phone number or whatever? Erica for What's Con- that? Erica for Congress dot com. So it's a a r i k a for Congress dot com, and. We do accept Bitcoin. I know that BitPay has been kind of like unfavored, mm-hmm. but I think people also need to understand this piece just from a campaign perspective. One, we are learning. I'm a teacher. We, I file, you know, this is my first time running. Two, the FEC has very specific rules and regulations, and that one was the most compliant with the FEC rules and, you know, in all of the accounting aspects. So it makes it easier for a candidate to accept Bitcoin, just FYI. And so ericaforcongress.com and you can hit the donate button and then you can be a max donor or a recurring donor. Even if you're like, you know, I'll throw over 10 bucks a month. You know, even mm-hmm. if you're just, a free, if people just become, you know, a 10, $20 recurring donor, that's significant. Mm-hmm. It all adds up. It really, truly does. And it makes such a difference. And I promise every single person, we are working so incredibly hard. We are taking this to the finish line. Just please know we're working so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I think that much is obvious. The the fact that you're spending an hour with me, you know, like, you know, some guy on the internet talk about this tells me that you're definitely dedicated to this. I mean, we were trying to schedule this before and obviously you work full time. So this this is not something that you can, you know, like, like you you need some serious dedication in order to be able to run for Congress, have a full time job, 
support yourself and like do all the activities that go into it. Just curious, do you also have a family or are you married? Do you have kids? Um, I'm like not that? married. I don't have children one day, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I'm not married. Okay. All right. So that at least means that you have more time to, you know, dedicate to your job and to this campaign. I'm dedicating so, so. my life to both. Mm. My life okay. to both right now. I really, really am trying to pull a win for us. I mm-hmm. just hope people know that. I'm really doing the best that I can. I wake up so early in the morning. I work before work, then I work and I just devote my life to my students. My, I'm very, I really take great pride in being a good teacher. That's very important to me. And I will never do anything at the expense of my kids' education. That would just be a contradiction to what I stand for. And then at mm. the end, I, as soon as I get off work, it's all about the campaign. And sometimes I'm up till one in the morning working, whatever it takes. Like I really want us to win because, and I have to say, I'm very grateful for the Bitcoin community because if we win, yes, you have someone that supports and is not going to ever be on the side of banning, but it also affords me to fight for foster care reform, education reform, financial literacy, all the things that I think are vital to addressing poverty in this country and, and supporting small businesses. I think that's really, really, really important. And so I'm forever grateful for the support I've already received from the Bitcoin community and from like my family, friends, yang yang, the constituents, the people in my community. I'm very grateful and I don't take anything for granted. I really, truly do not. Well, I think I can say that we're all excited for your campaign, and uh, you know, we'll, we're going to be watching this one closely because, I mean, even if you don't win, even if you come close, I think this will scare the living daylights out of Congress, and I think they need a kick in the butt just like that. So, you already told us about your website. Can you tell us, you know, other places that we can find you maybe twitter and sure. my twitter uh, is erica Rhodes. so a-a-r-i-k-a Rhodes r-h-o-d-e-s and my instagram is erica for congress so a-a-r-i-k-a for congress so those are the two main places that you can keep up with our campaign and sign up for our newsletter on our website that's another way that you can keep up with what we need for a campaign what we're doing and events etc Okay. Well, that's all very exciting. And, you know, I think there was quite a lot of enthusiasm for Andrew Yang. And you're sort of like the continuation at the congressional level, which I think a lot of people are would be pretty excited about. So thank you you for coming on. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited about what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at Unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Erica Rhodes can be found at at Erica Rhodes on Twitter and ericaforcongress.com. Until next time. Fiat de Lenda Est.